Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Well, amen. Thank you guys for being a part of Sugar Hill Church today. Uh, We want to take a few minutes and I want to talk about baptism. And I know you're thinking, wow, that came out of nowhere. But, (laughs) But I think baptism has gotten such a bad rap. I mean, oftentimes what I see is that baptism's used as a tool to make somebody join a church. But the, the single worst reason to get baptized is to join a church. I mean, it's just, it's, it's illogical to me because if I put that kind of requirement on you that's designed to be an expression of your love and gratitude, then I've taken what Jesus intended it to be, and I've taken what Jesus displayed for it to be, and I've turned it into something that I wanted it to be. And you see, everything that Jesus teaches, including baptism, is always a matter of our heart. It's not a matter of another law. It's not not a matter of another ritual. It is a matter of our heart. So what happens in baptism is, is this perspective that we are a people that are redeemed. And so you see all of us wearing these shirts around here today. And in a few weeks, we've had a lot of people say today, hey, can I get one? But this is why everybody that gets baptized around here sees the shirt. Now notice, redeemed and the me is highlighted. Did you know there are 450,000 plus words in the English language? Think about that, 450,000 words in the English language. Did you know 80% of the time we use less than 400 of them? Do you know what the number one words are in our use? I mean, over and over again, the first one is I, then me, then mine, and then my. Those are the words we use most. Now, you could say, well, wow, what a selfish generation. And I would say, yeah, we are. We're spoiled, rotten, selfish people. But when, when God chooses to redeem us, then we have a totally different perspective and meaning in life because to be redeemed is that God has come and taken from us that which caused us death and replaced it with his gift of life. Hence, he has redeemed us. Now, we don't use the term redeem very often. We, when we do, it sounds like this. I am redeeming my coupons in the line in front of Chuck and he's aggravated because you're taking 20 extra minutes to save $5 just me. But I'm saying we redeem coupons. And when we redeem them, what do we get back? Something of value, right? And so, and so interesting, you take a piece of paper, you cut it out, you hand it to, to, to your person there at Publix or Kroger, and they give you something in return for it. Jesus came along and he redeemed us out of one emotion, love. He, he didn't redeem us because, because we, 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 we wanted him to. He redeemed us because he came to do that. That's what he was here to do. But he gives a picture of that in baptism. So if you've got your Bibles, find Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 13. Now, Matthew is the first gospel writer. He's the first book in the New Testament. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of them record the baptism of Jesus. Now, if you're familiar with the the gospels, you know that often there are stories in one or two gospels, occasionally in three of the gospels, but very few things are in all of them. Jesus and his baptism by John the Baptist is recorded in all four Gospels. Now, you could say, well, then why baptism? Why is that a big deal? Well, Jesus gives us a clue as to why it's a big deal, and then he models for us exactly why it's a very big deal. 
But he never said that this was about your church membership. And he, he never made this about a rule. He made it about your heart. Because I want you to grasp these words, all right? Let me give you four words. If you want to jot these down, it'd be great. First one is humility. Jesus first comes in humility. Now, how do I know that? Well, he was born in a barn. He was laid in a stable. He lived the life of a carpenter. He walked through the streets. He died at Golgotha. His blood was shed. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, but he raised again and is returning someday as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But why did he come humbly? He came humbly because this is how we're to come to him. You see, Jesus begins the process of redemption in the simple fact that he came to this earth. There he is, the son of God, the most high God, and he chooses on direction of the father, God the father, to come to this earth, give his life, shed his blood for us. Why? That he might redeem us. Redeem us from what? You see, going back to Adam and Eve, all of us, knowing that our roots go all the way back there, then we are born with an inherent nature to sin. Now, let's get very interactive here, all right? Now, pay attention. If you miss this when you're about to get embarrassed, all right? All right, if you have ever told a lie, taken something that wasn't yours, cheated on something, or if you've had a really bad or selfish attitude, would you stand up? Let me join you on this one. Okay, is anybody sitting? They would be the liars in the group. Okay, now stay standing for a minute. I want you to look around at the people around you. Liars, cheats, and thieves. With the pastor chief among you. Thank you, have a seat. If you ever murdered someone, Okie dokie, if you've ever murdered someone, that could have been complicated. That's how you get on YouTube when you're a preacher, by the way. If you'd ever murdered someone, you'd have been in our crowd, wouldn't you? We'd have been guilty. And we, and we would have been guilty simply because we weren't perfect. I, I, if we ever found a church filled with perfect people, we would go join it and mess it up. But there's just no such thing. We know that, right? But God's standard for our life, not each other's standard, not what I think you should be, not what you think I should be, but what the Lord thinks we should be. The Lord looks at us and says, as, as imperfect as you are, as, as sinful as you are, as selfish as you are, as many bad decisions as you've made that's put your life in the position that it is, all those things, God still looks on us and says, I love you. And so because of our sin, because we aren't perfect, there's no way we can be in right relationship with God. But God looks at us and says, I love you. You can't do anything to make me not love you. And because I love you, I'm sending my son, Jesus. And he's going to take the punishment you deserve because of your sin, because of your selfishness, because of the cheating, lying thieves that we are. And he's going to shed his blood. And when you ask him to forgive you, he's going to. Then he was buried but he rose again three days later and he's gone to heaven to create a home for all those who would believe. The great news is Jesus didn't come just for heaven. He came so that heaven would come after we've experienced walking in abundance with him now. And so Jesus 
comes and he lives this wonderful, perfect, sinless life. But at the beginning of his ministry, we read this story in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. And here's what it says. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, watch this, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and we saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, watch this. If ever there was someone who didn't need to be baptized, the only person that never really needed to portray that Jesus would die for us, be buried for us, and be raised from the dead for us, it was Jesus himself. Now, I want you to notice that when Jesus comes to John and says, baptize me, John's first response is what? Humility. Lord, I'm not, I can't do that. You should be baptizing me. Now, let me ask you a question. Why was John baptizing? Isn't this a great it's, that's a great question. I mean, if you ever think about it, you're at one of those dinner parties and you're, you're in a conversation with a Presbyterian, the frozen chosen. And when you're with them, that they're going to say, hey, what's up with that immersion thing? I, I sprinkled when I was a kid. Let me just stop and say, cool. That's good. I think it's wonderful. I just don't think you're done yet. You say, well, Chuck, what's up with that? Well, see, John, when he came into this earth, he began preaching repentance to a people that hadn't heard this message in 400 years. He came saying, turn away from your sin, turn away from trying to live on your own and come this way because the Messiah is coming. Now, this is interesting about, about this story and it'll help you understand baptism or as the Greek puts it, baptizo. It, it'll start helping us understand this. So let's go before John. Before John, you had Jewish people and you had Gentiles, nothing in between. Jews, Gentiles. Now, during that time, the Jewish people represent a people that are totally whacked out. And let me show you why. There they were in this oppressive land and they're having to make bricks with less straw for the Egyptians. And God, you know, uses Moses in the plagues and, 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 and he delivers them out and crosses the Red Sea. And, and so every few years or two, they, the, the, the people of Israel they wander away from God. They see him do this great work. He parts the Red Sea. He provides food for them out of nowhere. He provides drink for them out of nowhere. He cares for them. He's promising this land flowing with milk and honey for them. And every few years, they're like, ah, we got this. And they start, they start building idols and they start doing their own thing. And then God comes back and he redeems them again and they get on, they get on the right course. And then a couple of years later, they're building idols again and they're, they're all whacked out and they're whining and crying. And, and sure enough, in the midst of all that, God comes back, provides this catastrophe or leadership or prophet and they're back and they're living for Jesus again. And so what we see is this on and on and on, the people of Israel, just like us. We show up on Sunday and that's exactly what I needed to hear, church. I'm ready to go charge the world. And then Monday comes and you're like, yeah, whatever. And just like the people of Israel. And then God has this catastrophe in your life and there's nowhere to turn. My marriage is falling apart. So now I'm just gonna turn back to God. And God's okay, I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna bring you back. Come on, let's don't do that again. And then in a few, few months, back same thing. Oh, I got a DUI and this is out of control. And now I need to turn to God. I can just keep on going. We're just like the people of Israel. 
But God is saying, but I need to redeem you so that you don't stay on that path. So you don't have to claim that's the end of the story. John's ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus. But when there was just Jews and Gentiles, people would try to see how God would bless the Israelites. And they would think, man, I want in on that deal. So it wasn't unusual in that time for a Gentile to say, I want to be a Jew. And they had to walk through this three-step ritual. The first one was they had to prepare a sacrifice, a heifer, turtle doves, something like that. And when you prepared the, the sacrifice, the second thing you had to do was to be circumcised. So let me just stop and say, when you were a Jewish boy, when you were born into a Jewish family, you were circumcised on the eighth day after your birth. But if you were coming at 38 and leaving being a Gentile to become a Jew, you had to be, you had to be circumcised. Now, let me just stop and say, if you're signing up for that, you're serious. Because that's a totally different experience, right? Like little Jewish boys are like, yeah, I don't remember that. Right? But if you're 38, I promise you're remembering that. Just saying. And then the third thing was you were baptized. Now, men were separate from women, and you'd be baptized. And when you were baptized, you were completely submerged because the picture was that this would wash you white as snow. Now, when John the Baptist comes, he starts preaching a new faith. And the new faith is that the one coming behind him is going to fulfill that law. See, like everything else that was a Jewish law at the time, Jesus came to fulfill, but he fulfilled that law in himself. So when John is coming and he sees Jesus walking into the water, his first thought is, no, this is all about you. And he's right. But Jesus helps him understand that I need people to see what this is modeled. Can you imagine the humility that it took for Jesus to walk into that water? Can you imagine the obedience it took for Jesus to stay in that water? Can you imagine what it took for the commitment for Jesus to follow in this baptism? Or can you imagine what it was to identify with that? You see, what was Jesus identifying with? Jesus was identifying with me and you. He was showing us that here is the Savior of the world. Here is the Redeemer. Here is the Savior, here is the Lord, and he has come to give his life for us, showing the picture that Jesus will die, be buried, and raise to live again. You know, when we baptize those folks, the way I finished that, raised to walk in, in what? Newness of life. The new part, the Gentile to the Jew, they understood. But when John started preaching the gospel of Jesus, and then when Jesus was baptized, it was all new. Now we didn't go through all of that ritual. What we did was we said baptism is an act of humility, of obedience, of commitment, and of identity. You say, well, I don't, I don't get the identity part, Chuck. I don't get it. Okay, well, last year, the Falcons won their first five games, and we were all wearing Falcon stuff. And we're thinking, this is the year we're going to do it. And then they lost like the next 10 games. All our Falcon stuff was lost. Do you know what is similar between the falcons and possums? They die at home and they die on the road. <laughs> you know what you call a falcons fan with a Super Bowl ring? A thief. 
totally off subject, but you get the point, right? You, you totally get the point, right? You see, we like to identify with a winner. When the Braves are winning, man, I see a lot of Braves paraphernalia out here. But, you know, this year, I'm seeing a lot of, yeah, well, you know, we're going to get a new stadium. <laughs> right? You see, when, when, when we humble ourselves to walk into that water, what we're saying is, I want, to, I want to be obedient. Jesus showed me this is what he calls me to do. Jesus told me this is what we're to do. And you say, well, Chuck, how do I know that? Well, here's the instructions he gave the church. He gave to us. Go make disciples, people that have chosen to follow Jesus and have surrendered their life to him and have chosen to ask him to forgive them. And they've accepted the fact that Jesus died for them, was buried for them, rose from the dead for them and is coming to get them. And when they do that, they are now, what are they? Go and make disciples. And right after that, what does he say? And baptize them. And the word baptizo there is literally coming up out of the water. Technically, you could say, I, I want to baptize you in the name of the Father. I want to baptize you in the name of the Son. I want to baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit. You could do all three. I've seen faces there. A lot of Christian Missionary Alliance churches, that they do. Every baptism is three, which kind of makes sense. Three in one right? Did you know the North star is not a star, but it's three stars. And when you bring those three stars together, you know what you see? An amazingly powerful light. This is what happens when we recognize that God has called us to be baptized in the name of the father, our creator, in the name of the son, our savior, and in the name of the Holy spirit, our keeper. And so when Jesus walks into that water, he's walking in with humility. Yes, I know I don't need to do this, but I, I want to obey the father because what did the scripture say? This is how we're going to fulfill all things. This is how we're going to fulfill the law. And so what happens is Jesus walks in with humility. But the second thing he does is he uses that humility to move him toward obedience. The only thing God really asks of you that you be obedient. That's all he really asks. Would you obey me? And he goes on to say, and if you love me, it'll be so much easier to obey me. So when I look at that, I think to myself, so baptism then is not just a task. This is not a task at all. This is an act of love. I want to be obedient to what Jesus did, I want to be more like him. I, I want to be obedient to what Jesus said. I, I, I want to make sure that, that I do what he commanded me to do. And, and as I am humbly being obedient, I am now making a firm commitment. Now, the commitment, like the, these students who have been baptized, I think today we'll baptize 16 or 18 middle or high schoolers and, and four or five adults. Don't you now have a different expectation on their life? that I expect you to walk the talk now? You know, parent, I think, parents, sometimes I think uh, our kids see us not walking the talk to the degree that they may not feel like they have to, but I promise you, when you see them being baptized and following Jesus in humility and in obedience, I believe there's also a commitment that comes behind that, that I'm choosing to walk with Christ. When, when our oldest daughter, Amy, she was probably about four, four and a half, and her pediatrician was a fellow by the name of Dr. Mann. And so I had taken Amy in for a regular appointment. She was a little sniffly kind of thing, you know, along with it. And so I was sitting there, and she, she's sitting there, and she said, Daddy, do I have to get a shot? Baby, I don't know. Daddy, I ain't doing a shot. And I said, well, baby, I, I don't know if we have to or not yet. So Dr. Mann comes in, and one of the first things, he says, well, it's time for shots. And I'm just like, Doc, you're killing me. <laughs> All right? So Amy's like, I ain't doing a shot. I am not doing it. And I mean, she was just like, not only am I not doing it, if you try it, I'm going to kill you. I mean, it was really, it was like Chucky doll looking back at you, you know? And, um, and I said, well, tell you what, baby, how about if I get Dr. Mann to give me the first shot 
and then you can do a shot just like daddy. Amy's like, yeah, sure. Knock yourself out. So I look at Dr. Mann and he's like, all right. So he goes, get something. And I, to this day, I have no idea what he put inside my body. I mean, maybe that's what happened, you know, but, but, but he gives me a shot and I'm looking at Amy like, see, nothing. You know what her response was? I ain't doing it. I ain't going to do it. You know what? This is what Jesus did. He came for us and he's baptized. And some of us today are saying, I ain't doing it. But it might be you're saying, I'm not doing it because you think that this is, this is a requirement on you to be a church member when it's simply an act of humble obedience and commitment to Jesus. And then the final part of that is humility leading to obedience to commitment and identification. I, Jesus identified with us by saying, you need my shed blood. You need my forgiveness. And you can have my heaven and you can have my Holy Spirit. And you can have that if you just ask for it and identify with me. See, Jesus first identified with us. And then we had the privilege and honor of being identified with Jesus so that when we're baptized, it's like we put on our Jesus shirt and we're, I'm in. That's why when Kevin came back after that first hour, he said, I'm in. So what I'd say to you today is this, maybe today you're here and you say, well, Chuck, I've never really fully committed in humility my life to Christ. And I would say to you then, man, get that squared away. And Chuck, I don't know how. Well, let's do this. Just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Just get still around this room for a minute. Don't be looking around. You don't need to leave. I promise you won't be here much longer. Maybe today you're saying, Chuck, I, I need to be redeemed. I, I need Jesus in my life. I want to settle in my life. I, I want to humbly ask Jesus to forgive me. I want to humbly ask Jesus, can I obey him and follow him and trust him? I need to humbly commit my life to him by saying, Jesus, please forgive me my sin and come live in my life. And I want to identify with Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Today, if that's the desire of your heart, I just want to ask you to just pray this prayer silently with me right where you're seated. And just, just pray. You want to pray it out loud? That's cool. You want to pray it silently in your heart? That's cool too. But don't miss Jesus here. Just follow. Lord Jesus, just say that with me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry I'm a sinner. And thank you for loving me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I accept your dying for me and raising from the dead for me as payment for my sin. I want you to hear my prayer and do as you promised and give me life eternal and life abundant. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.